I want to be around the people that are paying to play. They are putting the effort in. They see the value in their business. They're betting that I'm going to buy this thing and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to get my investment back. I'm always betting on myself. That is something that I definitely have done and over and over and over again. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez, the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman and your host here on the podcast. So thanks for joining us. Today is an exciting day for for me and hopefully for you as well. I have a friend and colleague as our guest today. Her name is Stacey Tuchel, and she is someone who started her own business at the age of 18 in her parents' backyard and turn that company into a multi-million dollar business that she still runs today. Now, I know her business as it stands today, but I don't know her backstory. So you and I will both be um, finding out what that backyard business was, because I'm sure there has been an evolution since then. Stacy is the best-selling author and founder of Well-Oiled Operations. She helps small business owners around the world create systems that facilitate growth by promoting team accountability and eliminating the common challenge of the CEO's time and energy limitations, becoming that bottleneck in scaling the business. So I'm personally well aware behind the scenes, we have lots of offline conversations of her brilliance and her genius. So I am thrilled to bring her on as a guest today. So welcome to the show, Stacey. Hi, Amira. Thanks for having me. I love getting to talk to friends and catching up and just having conversations that we don't typically get to have when we're just like all business and and doing all the things. So I'm so excited. Yeah. When we're like jamming on, what did you yeah. do here? And what did you do there? And right, all of that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's just jump right in. Why don't you tell us first, what got you here? Like, tell us about that entrepreneurial journey. Tell us about the backyard business. Tell us what drove the the now. Yeah. So I actually grew up in a family small business. My grandparents and parents worked together in a construction business. And it's so funny because watching them, it it wasn't ingrained in me of, oh, I could have a business. It was just like what they did. And I still thought I was going to be the typical go to college, get a degree, get a job. And somewhere along those lines, I fell in love with dance in high school. And when I turned like right out of high school that summer, I started teaching dance classes in my parents' backyard for fun while I was going to school, going to get that degree, right? And my family, thankfully, with their background said, we don't know anything about dance, but we feel like this might be a business because the first summer I had 17 kids and within three years, I had 100 kids still getting dropped off in the backyard. And we just kept growing and growing and growing. And I wasn't doing marketing. This was strictly word of mouth. And then three years in, I'm like, okay, this could be really amazing if I get to take my passion and make this be a business. So I actually still own today, uh, I have two now dance and music schools. The Backyard Story is 20 years old. The businesses are producing seven figures a year. We have like, I don't know, 40 to 50 employees, dozens of contractors, like you name it. Um, But what was interesting was it's a second shift and weekend business, right? It's when kids are off of school. So I had to realize very quickly, it was fine when I was in my 20s, 
But when I thought, wait, I'm going to become a mom. When am I going to be with my kids if I have to work at night and on the weekends, right? So I had to learn how to get the business to run without me, which is kind of where well-oiled operations snowballed. People started to see, how are you running this business, but you're at home with your children? Like, what? tell me what's happening, right? So that's kind of how everything just like snowballed from one into the other. But yeah, now I own both businesses. I have the performing arts, um, and then I have uh, foot traffic and well-oiled operations. Okay, so let's talk about that obstacle because yeah. that's a big obstacle. Yeah. I'm a mom. I have kids. Same time period as when my my clientele needs yeah. my attention. So how did you go about overcoming that obstacle? Give us a little yeah. bit on that. Yeah. So at first it was seeing it was possible, right? Going to conferences, being with other business owners and going, wait a minute. So you have children, but you're not at work 24-7. Like, well, tell me more what's happening, right? So I started to just, I think that step one is like seeing it's possible, right? Giving somebody else being the example to say, okay, this can be done. Not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to take some work, but at least I know it's possible. So I think for me, that was probably step one. Step two was, I don't know when I'm going to be a mom, but why not start figuring out what this would look like? Because my business was so reliant on me. Everybody need, like, even though we had we were growing our team, the team needed to know what I thought before they could make a decision, right? Which again, they need they were working at night, so that means every time dinner was happening, phone call, or I'd be at home on a Saturday and they would need me to answer on a Saturday, right? So I realized, okay, this is going to take some work. I've got to teach them how to run it like me, but without me, and that is not something that happens overnight. <laughs> What's the time horizon like? Yeah. Um, and I'm, do you still work on that? I mean, I imagine I still work on that. Yeah. So. In that business, no, because I've been removed now for 10 years. It like it's a it truly is a well-oiled machine, which is where well-oiled operations came from. But it took years when I first did it. So what I started to realize was I was everything. So I didn't remove myself from everything. I removed myself one at a time. So yeah. I was the main dance teacher. So I was like, okay, I felt like that was probably the easiest place to replace me. So I was like, how do I just find an amazing dancer that can come in and start teaching some of my classes? How can I start building out that team? So I removed myself from the dance classroom first, and then I put myself at the front desk. And then I started doing like email systems and, you know, what happens on a phone call and what does selling look like? And right. So then I start getting, you know, people to replace me at the front desk. And I slowly just kept pulling myself from one, getting my replacement and then going next position next position, next position. So it definitely was a few years. And I don't want to say to you, it has to be done in X amount of time because I think it'll take how long you give it. So when I left is when I had my baby. So if I would have had her six months earlier, I would have figured out how to do it six months earlier. Absolutely. Right? I think that's so, such a that's such a good point, Stacey, because yeah. there's something about deadlines that oh, yeah. we as humans, we need we don't need to put undue pressure on ourselves. We don't yeah. need to be in crazy mode with with, you know, pressure all the time. But we do need some some structure, some container in order to to make a decision, move forward, get that motivation going. Okay, so that's great. So what about with your current business, Well Oiled um yes. Systems, right? Yeah. How long did it take you round 2 yes. to to, you know, different business, different style of business, different things you're doing there to to really create a well-oiled machine. Yeah. So first, in this business, there are definitely some areas 
where we are not a well-oiled operation yet. And one of that is still, I am the face of the business, right? So that is, first of all, a lot of personal brands are that way, right? But I want this to be more than a personal brand. I want this to truly be a business. And the long-term play is, at some point, people don't even know my name. They just hear well-oiled operations and they think, this is what I need for my business. And they're like, wait, Stacy, who? Right? Like, which some people think, oh, no, like, that's my ego. And I want people to, like, ask for Stacy. It is incredible when people don't know who you are. We just had a recital at our dance studio. And I still go. My kids actually perform in the recital. So, of course, I go. And there was this little girl who messed up. And she was crying hysterically behind the stage. And I went up to her and I said, hey. I said, do you know who I am? And she was like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm actually the owner, right? Like people, like literally some of the children have no idea that I'm the owner. And I love that, okay? Now in this business, there are some people that would never take no for an answer. Like I need to speak to Stacy. I need Stacy's input on this in my business, right? They still put so much weight on me. But over the, you know, the, however many years, let's say the next five to 10 years, I'm going to keep building the spotlight on other coaches in my program, right? And then pretty soon it's like, okay, how do we do the marketing without me? That's exactly what I was going to say, Stacey, because you and I talk a lot about marketing and you are the face of your marketing as as am I. And uh, we might have different trajectories here, but that's a big thing for women in business who do have personal brand companies. So they they do the marketing and... And people then expect to some degree that they're going to be interfacing with them. But I don't know that that's a um, I don't know that that always has to be the case. Like I I actually see quite a few personal brands out there where people are the face of the marketing. But there's an energetic stance that that's not who you're going to be interfacing with. Correct. So it's at the tone, right? Like this is my framework. This is what I've created. But my team, the one that does it for me, is the one in the program, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm, I'm starting to do right now is just really creating assets where they can use them even if I'm sick or I'm gone or I need to step in to help a, a loved one or whatever that is. So we just keep looking at where is the business most fragile? Where does it truly need me? And where would we get into trouble? So right now, one of our biggest ways we sell our program is through a weekly live webinar. And I said, and it's definitely live. I could not grab it and repurpose it because I say things so people know it's live. So you couldn't watch it in January and hear me. It would just be very odd. So I said to the team, you know what we should really have? We should have an evergreen version of that where there's no date said. I don't reference anything. I'm not like, they could still think it's live, but I haven't like pulled out something specific. And I was like, not that we need to use it, but it would be your emergency plan if I was in the hospital that day. You could literally press play on that webinar and we wouldn't have suffered a huge loss that week, right? Yeah. I think one of the things that you touched on in in that comment is you asked the question, where are we, where are we fragile? I think that's the the phrase you used. And I think that's such a beautiful frame up of it because it's not like you're falling on your face and everything's right. like a mess. Like I think that there is a a, a way in which we go binary. And we either think everything's great, I've got this, or I'm falling apart and things are crashing and burning. And that leaves this giant middle where you're not looking at these incremental places where you can 
improve and and create the systems and the the structure that really can support your long-term plan. So, okay, so let's let's shift gears here and and talk a little bit about the challenges of business. Yeah. Were that was there ever a time where you were like I'm throwing in the towel, I'm calling it quits? Did that ever enter your your um framework? I mean, there's definitely been tough, tough days for sure. I I don't feel like I'm a quitter, so I don't know that I would say I'm quitting, but sometimes I think like, should I just sell? Like, should I just like- When does that like, come up, Stacey? Oh, man. When you just feel like you've done everything you possibly can and people still want or demand more, whether it's your clients or if, you know, finally you had this breakthrough in business and then everybody wants a race and you're like- we just got out of the negative profit margin and now you want to take it all. You know, it's just like there are days where, and I think we we hide a lot as a CEO. We want to look calm, cool, and collected. But sometimes it's like, we just need 10 more thousand to break even this month, right? And you're like freaking out. But you look so confident that your team thinks, you know what? She's doing well. I need a race, right? Yeah. And some of that stuff can just like hit you, right? Which is why I'm really big on being transparent with the business, with the company, to let them know you know, we had a really great month, but guess what? Last month was awful and we just made up for last month, dipping into our reserves or whatever that is, right? Yeah. So like really, and also to be very clear on, you, if you want to raise, it's because you're bringing more money into the company, not because you've been here another another year, right? So I don't. I think, of course, there are definitely tough times, but it's usually I have that thought and then the day goes on and I wake up the next day and I think, okay, let's do it, right? Because I think we're just wired to keep creating, to do more, to achieve bigger, right? Like that's who most of us are. So it's just, it's in our DNA. I think that's 100% true. No one I've asked that question to has said, oh yeah, I was ready to quit in in like a full like yes. done. I think that people do have the like, I might sell it, Yes. From a perspective of that day was exhausting, that week was exhausting, that month was exhausting. Yeah. I'm in overwhelm. I don't like my business anymore. Yeah. And yeah. and that's where I think there's a lot of soul searching to see if it's I don't like being in business or I don't like what I created and I need to make some shifts. Like where is the hundred percent personal responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is like we've always done the work to put us where we are. And sometimes we don't like what we're looking at, whether it's the program, the product, the service, the team member we hired, like we did all of this. But the good thing is we have the power to change what we don't like either. Right. Yeah. So that's a big one as well. Yeah. And that's where the the sense of freedom comes in. Yeah. And I think that's a, a that's a mindset shift for a lot of people that they they have to realize, they have to own, I actually have the power to change this. I don't have to feel trapped here. I might not see the pathway yet, but I know that there is one. Yeah. So, Was there ever a time where self-worth or self-esteem was a barrier between what you desired and being able to achieve it? If you know anything about dance, a lot of times people that have studios or dance professionally started at like three, four years old. I started in high school. And the first time I ever stepped foot in a dance studio was when I was 15. So trust me, when I decided, wait, I should have a dance studio, like everybody was like, you should do this. People like you, they they keep coming to you. My first thought is, but my biggest competitor has been in business for 30 years. 
and she danced as like a child and her son was on So You Think You Can Dance. Like, who am I to open up a dance studio, right? There was definitely some massive imposter syndrome going on. And it was like this battle of like, okay, maybe I could do this, but why would anybody pick me over her, right? It was just like back and forth and back and forth. And then I think the biggest thing for me was where I kind of got through that was I realized I didn't need to compete with her, with her strengths. So like I wasn't going to be the next, you know, person that got a, a So You Think You Can Dance member. But what I realized was I loved dance because it was fun and I made friends and it was just like something I did uh, like, you know, just for socialization and just like something fun to do. And I thought, well, who do most parents want their three-year-old to be? The one that's making friends and just having fun? Or do they want them to be a professional on Broadway? So you really owned your unique approach. And that's what got you through. And like you you claimed that aspect, yeah. that identity piece as valuable instead yeah. of demeaning it or denigrating yeah. it or saying it wasn't as much. You, you said, actually, this, this is amazing. Yeah, because right. a, a lot of us try to just beat our competitors and be better. And I wasn't going to be better than her in that way. Like I knew if you wanted to be a phenomenal and dance for the rest of your life, you probably should go to that studio. And we started to tell people like if they would come to us and they sounded very intense, like they could be on Dance Moms. We were like, listen, there's a studio here that is probably a better fit for you. But then people that was starting to be our reputation, people would say, oh, if you just want to go to like like this place, they're super fun. They over deliver great customer experience. They let kids be kids. They're not really strict because like the other studio like you had to miss birthday parties and you couldn't have a job and you couldn't do a lot. They, this was intense. Well, we realized very quickly, most parents don't want the intense studio. Yeah. We leaned into that and our business ended up at the time, they had just like hundreds and hundreds of students and we were much smaller. And now we are the biggest studio in the area. Yeah, I, I freaking love that. So so this, when I, I coach my clients, yeah. I talk about owning yeah. your uniqueness, owning the full expression of who you are, because when you do that, when you fully claim it, mm -hmm. then the, the world matches you. Yes. And and this is a beautiful example of that. You you owned it and it resulted and you owned it, not just kind of you owned it yeah. in a, a full way. Like here, you belong over here. Totally. You, right. Like being and we went to bashed say, them. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, like yeah. Said it. it was just like, no, no, we're very different. So what are you looking for? Yeah. I love that. I love that. So has there ever been a time in either of the businesses where you personally didn't feel successful, even though the numbers you're like every day? No, just kidding. Even, yeah. Uh, even though the numbers may have said something different, you were yeah. you had a, you know, a feeling that you weren't being successful. Tell me about that. I think the hardest part for me is I am so driven. I want the next number always. So even when I hit the number that I said a year ago would be like, oh my goodness, if we hit this number, like that would be insane. When we do hit it, I'm like, well, guys, what if we went for this number? <laughs> or, or, but we didn't hit this. Like I always ruin it for myself <laughs> because... It's like there's always a bigger number, right? Yeah. And I, I always tell people that they're like, listen, if I could just get to 500,000, if I just could get to a million, and I have to say, listen, I hate to break this to you, but you're going to say when you get to a million, if I could just hit two, if I could 100%. just hit three, right? Yeah. And we have- So let's pause there for a second. Okay. So we have the the moving goalpost situation, yeah. okay? 
And the way I frame this up is that, you know, the, the feminine in us always yearns for more, always wants more. We are never satisfied. We're always craving more. It's part of our nature. Okay. And yet we have to balance that with the yeah. pain of that, that, that gets created in that of, of disappointment if we, yeah. we aren't there. And the way I approach it, and I want to, I'm queuing you up. I yeah. want to hear your approach to this is, is to really not ignore the desires, not, I mean, I think desire is causative, like yeah. that's what motivates us, but to really dig in once we claim that new goal, to really dig in to the, the process, the meaningful life, the, 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 what we're doing on the daily. And that's what keeps me from getting depressed about my cycle of wanting more. How about you? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I've had to just really reward myself on the journey versus delayed gratification. We are so good at delayed gratification, whether it's not paying ourselves the right amount yet because we're like, oh, I want to put it back in the business so we can get bigger. You'll always say that even at 10 million. <laughs> like yeah. it will literally never stop, right? So and and I think like the workaholic tendency of squeezing in a little bit more, you know, after the kids went to sleep or, you know, waking up early on Saturday and trying to do a little bit more. You'll never catch up. There will always be more work to do, right? So I think for me, I had to just go, I'm gonna put in real boundaries. I'm not going to work on the evenings. I'm not going to work on the weekends. I'm going to do whatever I can get done during the time I said. And then I'm going to reward myself properly for the work that I'm putting in. Yeah. And like, yeah, now it's becoming more enjoyable that it's like, you know what? I really want to hit 10 million. I'm not there yet, but it's okay because the journey to 10 million is fun. It's not like this crazy sacrifice, right? A lot of us sacrifice so much to the other end of the extreme that we just burn out and business isn't fun. And we're like, let's get out of here. What are we doing? So what I'm hearing there is law of constraints. It's like, yeah. like I'm it's like I'm not building a ten million dollar business like this. If you can see me, yeah. like crazy, no boundaries. But I'm building a ten million dollar business with these constraints. These are the demands I'm putting, not just on myself, but on the universe. It's like it has to, like this is the structure. It has to come th like this. You know, I, I talk a lot about masculine and feminine aspects of ourselves, and you know, the masculine creates a lot of structures. We need order, all that which is absolutely essential. These are the boundaries that you're talking about. And, yeah. and the, the feminine wants to flow and all of that. So, and, and I've been really playing recently with this concept of like, well, what are the feminine boundaries, mm -hmm. right? Because like for you, you're like, I don't want to have that always on yeah. feeling. I want to have, and I, I'm filling in the blank for you, but you actually wanted to like that some kind of flow piece. Yeah. Um, calm. Yeah. I will say like my goal is to not work evenings and weekends, but if I wake up at three in the morning with this like crazy idea, I'm going to grab my phone and jot it down. So I don't forget about it. Or yeah. if I'm with the kids doing something in the kitchen and I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot to do this. I'm going to run in here, just quick, make a note. So the first thing in the morning I do is that thing. Right. Yeah. So I want people to know like, or if there's something that has to get done and I'm on a deadline, you better believe I might have to take a Sunday afternoon to finish that job. But I just don't want it to be a permanent habit. I don't want to see myself in here every Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. Or every night, because that's where it's like we just go to the other end of the extreme. And what is that in service of feeling wise for you? Oh, yeah. It's really recharging. Like when I hear people say I work 60 hours, 70 hours, 80 hours, 
you are not giving yourself the time you need to recharge, right? So like if you work out, they say that the, uh, this I'm totally going to butcher this, but I think you got the idea. The muscle actually like rebuilds itself when you're not working out. It's like after the workout's done and you're resting is when the muscle rebuilds and regrows versus people think like, oh, it's probably when you're like lifting the weight and it's not. And I think that analogy in business is so good. It's like your brain needs to have that rest and recovery to get stronger to go back. So when I hear somebody say, oh, I work 100 hours a week, first of all, I just don't even know how that's possible, okay? The quality of your work cannot be that good. Like, I just know that your brain, the way that your thoughts are, you're not in a place you're, where you're able to come and give your best work. So like, yeah. I, it's a non-negotiable. Like, I'm getting eight hours of sleep. Uh, if I wake up and I still feel really tired, I let myself go back to sleep. Like, I want to, or if I, feel, if I feel like I'm getting a cold, I turn that alarm off because I have to rest. Like, I have to make sure I'm not just, you know, working all weekend and then coming back Monday, not getting that break. So it sounds like you have a belief system that is committed to a certain amount of work ethic, like yeah. getting the job done, excellence, reading between the lines here. But there is there's there's no lazy here. There's no um, lack of commitment to excellence. OK, and I'm the same way in terms of writing the notes down to make sure that I don't space out on anything. But was there a a, a belief system that you had to confront around that in order to shift into the ability to recharge yeah. and rejuvenate? Yeah, because it wasn't in my nature. Like I want, I was the person that would like put the kids to bed and pull the laptop out. I was that person to be working, working, working. I think the more that I would read and I would see, again, I'm a very inspired by who's around me and what people are saying. And if you're smarter than me, making more money than me, I believe you. Like, I don't even need the research. Just tell me what you're doing. And I'm like, oh, they're all doing this. Like everybody's successful saying you have to sleep, right? Like I'm like, okay, the, I'm, I think I'm such a good student that I just listen. But no, I would, and I would have been that person. I was that person working extra, putting in the hours, like constant, go on vacation, still check email, still do all the things. And the more I just watch people that were further along than me tell, you know, say on a podcast or tell me they were doing this. I was like, oh, success leaves clues. And they're all taking care of themselves. They're all well. They're working out. They sleep really good. They take vacations, right? I'm like, this is part of it. It's not just in the moments you're working. It's literally 24-7. What are you doing? But part of 24-7 is the rest and recharge. Totally. So when I started my business, it wasn't that I didn't have work ethic. I had huge work ethic. You and I sound very alike in this manner. I would wake up, I would work, I would go to sleep, I would wake up, I would work all day, go to sleep. It was, you know, long 12-hour days, but I I loved it. It it was energizing until it wasn't and then I kept working and and I was that person that was going all the time, wasn't recharging, not not never, but primarily. And there's some truth to the fact that in the beginning, you don't have money, you have time and yeah. you you have to, there's a bootstrapping, to, in my opinion, there's a bootstrapping period where you do have to put in yeah. that effort. And I hear a lot of people say on, in various conversations on a podcast, you know, if I could talk to my previous self, I would tell them to take it easy and, you know, and stop and smell the, the flowers and all of this. And I think, well, that's really easy to say from the yeah. place you are now. Yeah. But like to 
build that momentum, it took a bunch of effort. And I'm I'm curious about that in your perspective, because then I'm like, well, that's just my story. Maybe it's different for other people. Maybe they've been able to actually get a business off the ground, create a multi-million dollar business and not do that kind of work. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. So I definitely think in the beginning, and not even just the beginning, the beginning of figuring it out, which that might take you three, four years, like who knows, right? When I look at the activities I was doing when I was working more than the 40 hours, I see myself wasting a lot of time just doing things that weren't actually doing anything. So, and But maybe that's part of it because you don't know what's going to work and you don't know what's going to take off. So you do a lot of extra things just to see what actually sticks. Um, but when I look at the activities that a lot of people are putting in, this is why I think it's so important to hire a mentor because I can look at somebody's agenda and say, or their calendar and go, remove X, Y, Z, because this is going to do nothing for you. We'll literally just save you time. And now you can pour into it. So I remember I had a friend who was just about to have a baby and she was freaking out that she was about to go from, you know, all this free time and luxury of whenever she wanted to do anything to now, oh my goodness, I'm going to have less time. And I talked to her a few months in and she said, I am so much more productive because now I have a limited amount of time I'm allowed to work. So I only do the best stuff before I was just busy. And I was filling my calendar with stupid stuff that never really needed to get done. So I believe you could still put in just 40 hours or 30 hours in the beginning if you were working smart. Mm-hmm. A lot of doing, doing the needle moving work yes. at the beginning and not trying to fit it in. It's that classic conversation about the, the glass. If you put the sand in first, you yes. never get the big rocks in. But if yeah. you do the big rocks, you can fill first, you can yeah. fill everything else. So do you have male clients as well? I do. Yeah. So what a, what for you, when you're assessing how they approach business, how do you see male and female clients approaching it differently? Yeah. Do they? I think a lot of times women are very hard on themselves with numbers and it's sometimes very dramatic. Whereas a guy is just more matter of fact about it a lot of the times, right? So like I'll even, I'll have a woman be like, I made a lot of money, but I spent a lot of money. And it just feels like, why did I spend so much money? And they're like guilting themselves. And then we look at the profit margin and I'm like, this is great. Like, this is really good. And they still are like, oh, but I just, I don't know, right? A guy is like looking at the numbers and he's like, yeah, we're crushing it. We just did 30% profit margin, right? Like, I just think sometimes we're such, we can be such perfectionists or we can see where the flaws are. Um, whereas I just think sometimes with, with a guy, it's just like very matter of fact. And I know I'm very, definitely stereotyping, but this is what I see a lot of like, just take the drama out of it. A lot of us hold on to, like, I literally had somebody say, we had a record month, but I feel like it's going to go away next month. I'm like, why are we even thinking? <laughs> like, you just had a record month. Can we just stop and celebrate for a moment? Like a guy would be like, everybody, I have to make sure you know, we had a record month. And he would never say anything negative after that sentence. Right. Yeah. But it's like the female will say it and already it's kind of like we we can't take compliments. Like if I said that shirt's amazing, I love that shirt on you. Our natural instinct is to be like, I got it on sale at Target. Like we want everybody to know like it's not as yeah. we think it is. Like it's just this thing in us that we do all the time. And I have to work on being able to take compliments. Yeah. So let's talk about that, because this is a big part of my lens on things is like being open to receiving like the feminine like the, the masculine is very directed, structure, go out, do the thing. And it's not that 
the feminine aspect of us doesn't do, yeah. but it it does in a receiving way. It does in this like cognition, intuition, receiving, playing with the stuff kind of way. So what do you think conditioned you not to be able to receive compliments? Um, yeah. Anything. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, it's still in me. Like if I go to dinner and somebody snatches the bill before I can pay, like part of me is like, oh, like, I don't like that. And then I'm like, wait a minute, just say thank you. Like, that was really nice of her. <laughs> they thank you, right? I mean, maybe it's just like the way we were grown up of, you know, maybe that. And I think it's in our human nature to want to reciprocate, right? It's like, you don't just want to take it. You want to give back. So maybe if I say this about myself, it feels like I'm not better than, right? Like we're more in that equal playing field. But it's interesting how we do that. And how much is it sabotaging the results we're looking for? What about your relationships? Are, have you had any uh, challenges with being a successful business owner, being committed, driven, ambitious, and your relationships, you know, primary love relationships, yeah. friendships, parents, kids, stuff like that? The dynamics definitely change as the success of the business changes, right? People maybe start to feel weird or you feel weird and now you're bringing that energy and then they're feeling it, right? Um, I think I learned very early on who to share things with and where to keep things to myself. I will say, because uh, now I've been doing this 20 years, in the beginning, I probably wouldn't have told my parents some things because it just sounded crazy, right? Now some things like what? Like... Like, like how much money you were making? Yeah, like, yeah, okay. like I want to make a million dollars a year. with the, Like they'd probably be like, a million dollars a year, this is a dance studio, right? Like they probably thought that would have been crazy. And maybe they wouldn't. Maybe it was just in my head. But now I'm actually not afraid to tell them anything because I have shown them 20 years worth of like crazy things that I have done. So I can say to them, oh, by the way, I'm going to do this. And they believe me. They're like, oh, shoot. Like she said it, she's going to do it. <laughs> right? Like they know, but... I've earned their trust, right? So, you know, even now it's like I, 10, 15 years ago, I may have would have left something out with a high school friend who would have thought that's nuts or like, are you sure you want to do that? Whereas now I've proven it time and time again that I can pretty much say anything to anybody and I'm secure enough that if they think it's nuts, I would be like, actually, here's the math. It's super, super easy, right? I think in the beginning when we say something and somebody goes, really? Are you sure? Is that a good idea? If you're not secure, that can really hurt you and go, wait, maybe I, maybe that is crazy. Maybe I can't do that. So I think the more confident you get, the more you can just share whatever you want because you have to be convicting in that situation, right? Like the person with the most conviction wins the argument. So when somebody says, oh, there's no way you're going to do that. And I come back at you with 72 reasons why. You're like, oh, maybe she is going to do that, right? It's just been it's been a journey with relationships. Like it, it definitely was way different in the beginning, but I think it's like I've evolved, right? I am so much more confident and I believe that I can do a lot more than I used to believe. Yeah, and you've built up that track record with yeah. yourself. I think to me, there's a combination of like choosing the new thing that you want and, and believing in it, having some belief, and then backing it up with action. There's an upward spiral that then happens because you start going, oh, when I claim what I want, I believe in myself, and then I go do it. I have the persistence. I have the commitment, all of that. Yeah. And then you start believing you could do anything then. And you know. then when, when I think you show the track record to people and they believe it, I like jokingly said, not I don't want to say jokingly, I said like at one point, 
I want to have like an oceanfront property, which is like an insane amount of money. And this person next to me said, well, if you say it, I totally believe you're going to get it one day. And it like made me go, you're right. Like I actually could get an oceanfront property. And like they're like, it was like my belief got them the contagious, right? They started mm-hmm. believing. And now again, I'm like, wow, okay. They even think that that's true. They, why not? Yeah. Why can't it be true? Right. I love that. I love that. It sounds like you also have been working through your money beliefs over time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, growing up in Wisconsin, like we ha- we lived like, I feel like at the time I thought we were, we were pr- probably very well off, but I really think my parents just like had respectable, like they weren't the owners of the company. They were employees in our family business. And I think they just did really well with their money. They were very frugal. They spent it wisely. But we're, we were definitely playing a much smaller game than what people are doing these days, right? The fact that I'm like shooting for 10 million a year and that just, I probably wouldn't have had those beliefs if I just hung out with people in my close knit circle of where I live. But because I do travel and I go to conferences and I meet people like you and and our other colleagues, right? And I start to hear other bigger numbers and what people are doing. And and then I go, well, why not? Like if they can do it, so can I, right? Yeah, why not me? Why not me? So I do think getting in rooms with people that have big dreams really has helped me grow. Because here, if I just looked at my network in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, I don't really have people here that I would say, oh, she inspired me to go build this. Yeah. Like, it's just not what I've seen. Yeah. Even though they might be there. When I find that. I find that for some reason I don't yeah. see them, but when I yeah. am very intentional about gr- joining a, a, a mastermind group or a group yeah. of colleagues, the online world has just opened up so much of that. And, and I it's, agree with you, without a doubt, yeah. they're here. I just haven't yeah. seen them. I, right. I don't know where they hang out. <laughs> exactly. Not in the most circles, not yet. Uh, yeah. But it really has been like getting in the mastermind groups, getting in the rooms, just hearing people say big ideas and then going, okay, like, well, I'm no different than them. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah. Okay, before I ask my last questions and share some reflections with you, where can people find you if they want to find out more about your well-oiled systems? Yeah. So the podcast is probably the best place to go, well-oiled operations. And then um, I'm on Instagram at Stacey Tushel. Between those two places, there is a ton of free information. Lots, I mean, I just pump out content like crazy. Um, so I hope those two places will be of value. Yeah, she does a ton on Instagram. So go check her out. So- I want to first start with some reflections and then I want to just articulate that it's so refreshing to see someone who is both transparent and about all the things, yeah. right? Both the the journey and look, this is where I am yeah. and is is confident in her own skin while she's still claiming more and growing for more, like isn't afraid to say, this is where I'm going. I'm not there yet, but this mm-hmm. is where I'm going. That is such a ref- uh, refreshing attitude because most people have like a game face, if you will, or, yeah. or, or you know, they have to have the constructed uh, personality to make sure it's all polished. Yeah. And you might be working with people who have bigger businesses than you do. One and it's right. And and it's important, I think. I, I think that's a, a, a lesson and a uh, something that we can uh, all latch on to is that that level of transparency and then also that story about just owning in the dance company yeah owning your unique 
I mean, in the biz, it's called unique selling proposition, but you didn't even know that at the time. Just owning, owning why you love doing what you do and what made it good for you and translating that into a niche. So so smart. So such a natural bit of marketing and sales and business knowledge there. So fantastic. Okay. So my final questions for you, Stacey, how do you continue to learn in order to stay on top of your game? Yeah, I know you join mastermind groups and you have yeah. mentors. We talk about that. But yeah. Is there another way that you continue to up your game? So I think it's really a balance of consumption versus implementation. Like, it's not just go listen to podcasts, go read books. It's like, listen to this podcast and do something with it, right? Go read the book and pause when you decide, okay, this is a strategy I could actually do, right? So I think for me, it's just, really like figuring out what that balance is and not just getting in a rhythm of being a good podcast listener or video watcher or right it's like do something with it so I would say that's probably my biggest thing and then definitely I don't just I love I'm a yes big podcast listener lots of books but I don't just stop there I do think investing at a higher level puts you around a level of person that will inspire, right? I remember this one time, like this was years ago. Somebody was like, we're going to be friends. Like, I know it. We're going to be friends. And I felt really bad. I didn't say this to her, but I was like, I don't think we are because she was somebody who just did all the free stuff and didn't see value in investing and wasn't pouring back into her business. And I'm like, I want to be around the people that are paying to play, right? Like they are putting the effort in. They see the value in their business. They're gambling on themselves, right? They're betting that I'm going to buy this thing and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to get my my investment back, right? Like I'm always betting on myself. So I I just think, think that is something that I definitely have done and over and over and over again. Yeah, so good. So juicy. I love this concept of betting on yourself and investing in yourself. That is absolutely yes. like when I... I mean, I had started my business already, but when it really took off, I made a huge investment in mentorship. And it was a huge bet on myself. And the act, the decision of going all in changed everything for me. There was no, there was, you know, I had my moments of doubt, right? I had my moments of trepidation, but there was no backing out. Like I was like, I made a, I'm in it, right? Yeah. So, well, I just said to my husband the other day, I'm like, I don't think I've ever invested in something that I haven't gotten a return on investment because I take ownership in like, it's not their responsibility. It's my responsibility. What am I going to get from it? What am I going to do? How am I going to get this investment back? And when you pay, you pay attention, right? You're just at a whole nother level. And I mean, I got a mentor three years into the business. So when I was 20 or 21, I already hired a coach and I've never been without a coach or a mastermind since. Yeah. So smart. So smart. Okay. So do you think that going all in, betting on yourself is what makes you an unstoppable woman? Or is there is there more to what makes you I unstoppable? Think, I do think betting on yourself. I think the idea of like really believing that we're not that different. Like anybody listening, if you see something that Amira has or that I have or that we got, you can have it too. Like I fully believe that we are all the same that we all have, the, I should say, we have all of the same capability, but it's how are you using it? The people with different results are using their capabilities in just a different way. Totally. hundred percent. hundred percent. 
Okay. So thank you so much, Stacey, for being on the podcast. For the listeners, tell me, what did you connect most to in this conversation? Was it the conversation about identity and beliefs? Was it the discussion about like what we bring to the table as women, that masculine feminine essence part? Was it about feeling worthy and able to receive? What landed for you? Drop me a comment or send me an email at podcast at theunstoppablewoman.com. Okay, with that, we're wrapped. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode. <laughs>